Hi, this is Chris Birch from Modiphius. You are listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Our sponsor this week is Chiselwicks, your friendly local poisoner's guild. We have a wide range of lethal toxins and venoms from creatures as varied as snakes, spiders, serpents, atacops, basilisks, giant scorpions, wyverns, etacaps, medusas, assassin bugs, green dragons, and even ghouls, ghast, demons, and venomous mummies. All items sold for entertainment purposes only. Chiselwicks accepts no liability for any accidental murderings. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ. And with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever, it is a complete delight to be here. We have a guest. We do. A very special guest. Yes. I'm special? Why, thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all, uh, of, all of our guests are special, okay. Nolan. Okay. We, 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 in our own special way. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't play favourites. I'm Nolan T. Jones. I'm one of the three co-founders of Roll20 and the current CEO. Nice. So Roll20 is, um, I'm sure everybody listening knows what Roll20 is, but just in case there is that one guy out there who doesn't. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I, I think that's one of the beautiful things. You have been paying things. attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's one that's of the, the beautiful things afterwards. about the hobby. Like, uh, there, there's different ways to play and, it, well, and folks who don't play online at all, but we're, we're kind of the, we're the leading way to play tabletop role playing games online. Mm. Over 8 million folks have signed up and utilized us and, it's so wild to think about. Actually, this week is nine years that we've been wow. doing this. So, yeah. I am one of those eight million people. Ha-ha. Hmm. I'm Likewise. the best one, Peter, obviously. Peter is not. <laughs> Wait. No. Huh? No, 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 no. Huh? Peter, is, Peter is, in fact, a pro subscriber. So, oh, yeah. even. Uh, whoa. Pa- a paying customer as opposed to one of ones. I know. You've actually met one in the wild. What are you going to do? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I am too. Right, that's I, am, I, I pay my dues. I have, I have my subscription. Right, let's do some news. Let's find some RPG news. Yes, yes. How about, let's talk a little bit about Mistara. Oh, Mistara. Uh, so, Mistara is... Goddess of D- Magic? Uh, it's a D&D God. setting. Oh, okay. Fair enough, uh, fair. From... About 1980, I think. It's in the 80s. It's, uh, it's, it was kind of like one of the early default settings, long before Forgotten Realms became the default setting. And sure. um, okay. it's, it's set in what's called the known world and uh, <laughs> sort of uh, original D&D. It was kind of like the default setting for those mm-hmm. editions of the game. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff Grubb, back in, back in the 80s, uh, wrote a conversion for it, an update for it, for second edition D&D. Okay. And for whatever reasons, sort of internal reasons within TSR at the time, mm-hmm. that book that he wrote yes. didn't get released. Oh, okay. And he, in fact, he was so incensed by this that he shortly thereafter left TSR. It was, okay. it was, you know, it was, it wasn't, but, it well, wasn't. But books are a lot of effort. It's not something you knock out over the course of a casual mm. Friday, uh, especially for a conversion of a setting. Yeah, so I can see that that would be a bit annoying. <laughs> We've seen D&D lawsuits over just this in the past year, right? Like, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is a recurring theme. There's been, there's been a few, yeah, yeah. Oh, cracky, yeah. I mean, that would... Are you, I think you're making reference to the Dragonlance books, right. which I think are works of fiction, uh, is a slightly different thing. But anyway, sorry. Let's not, let's not cover the old news. This is the new news. But, uh, I hear what you're saying. Sorry. 
Uh, what was I? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're so telling me about Jeff, Jeff Grubb, quick yeah, TSR, yeah, yeah, spat the dummy yeah. right out. It ricocheted around him. It was like, screw guys, I'm going so, home. So, anyway, Jeff leaves. Grubb kept hold of the yes. manuscript. This is, yeah. this is what happened. So, Jeff Grubb kept hold of the manuscript. He's had the manuscript yes. for whatever, 20 years, 30 years, however long it's been. It's been about 40 uh, since the 80s, Russ, just FYI. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, early 80s, yeah. So, um, Hi, I'm helping. <laughs> So there's a Mystara fan site called Vaults of Pandius, run by a guy called Sean Stanley. And that's been around forever. It's been around for a long, long, long time. Okay. And uh, Sean Stanley has managed to get permission from Wizards of the Coast to release that book. Oh, okay. For free. Yes. So he's had the manuscript for quite a long time. He's been working on it, editing it, it getting it laid out and stuff. And imminently, I don't know when exactly, with an additional foreword from Jeff Grubb, mm-hmm. that AD&D second edition Mystara sourcebook mm-hmm. is going to be released for free on right. the Mystara fan site. Whoa. Okay. Well, um, excellent news if you're playing second edition. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know how many people. Oh, you, you'd know, Nolan. You, you'd be you'd be an expert on this oh, with your uh, with your, with your go, stats that go out every quarter. How many people are playing second edition? Do I do I have that handy? <laughs> I know uh, the fourth edition shows up in those stats. Fourth edition shows up. The three point five shows up. The the most recent just came out yesterday, and I've got it in front of me in a graphic form. So I'm not searching it, which is awful. But I mean, yes, there are still folks playing second edition. The question mm, is, is, is just how many amongst mm. the great wide world? Right now, three point five though is, is actually outdoing fourth, which which hurts mm. me. I'm 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 a fourth <laughs> edition. A of, yeah, I'm a big fourth edition apologist. I I that's you like the I, I four gridded gameplay. I that's, do. I, I, yeah. I don't yeah. really understand why people play three point five over Pathfinder, given that Pathfinder is basically three point seven five. Well, I mean, it, it, Pathfinder first edition. I mean, within that, I, I should say there are more people playing Pathfinder, um, both first and second editions, than there are mm. playing three point five at this point, and and by a healthy Ooh. margin. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, I don't see, and I don't have the searchable tabs. But we can assume there's some out there. Yeah. Some, yeah. There, some second edition. I, I, I should say AD and D first and second is coming in at like 0.2 percent of games and people. That's still a lot of people, though. Yeah. It sounds like a tiny, tiny percentage, but in absolute numbers, that's still oh, it, a no, significant I mean, number of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the big question is: well, when is the fifth edition conversion going to be done by Goodman Games? There you go. Where they well, print yeah. out the second edition book <laughs> and the fifth edition conversion to go with it. Yeah, that's what all, that's what we're now going to be waiting on. <laughs> Unless that's one of the settings that Wizards of the Coast has said is coming over the next two or three years. Ooh, exciting! I not Dragon Dance, which is what I want it to be. Well, I mean, have you seen the latest Anastar Kana, Russ? I have. Should we do that? Should we move on to that as our next news piece? Oh, we, we, we might as well. It does seem to lead in quite naturally. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, a, that's a, a slick segue there. Uh, no, no, you're a fan of 4th edition. Are you also a fan of 5th edition? They are quite different Yeah, games. I mean, it, it, I've, I've, I'm currently playing 5th edition, um, but Ooh, I'm nice. I'm playing uh, Eberron-based stuff, uh, and so Ooh, not, nice. not quite within the core of things, but it, it, mm. I've... Uh, I like dragons, right? Like that's what's that's what's Dra- going dragon. on with the new Arcana, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, oh, well, that is true. Actually, I hadn't really considered that. I was thinking specifically of names specifically used by authors of Dragonlance, like um, well, Fizban. 
there's, there's one. one. There's, 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 one. There's, there's three Forgotten Realms ones in there as well, though, so I wouldn't read too much into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, Fizban has appeared in various other books by Margaret Weiss. Mm. But let's not forget, right, it is also full of dragons, Russ. So yeah. many dragons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the Anath Arcana is all about, uh, mainly it's about um, uh, Dragonborn. Yes. And it and introduces... Kobolds. It introduces new, new variations on Dragonborn, yeah. plus a new cobalt uh, race. Yes. And also it's got a whole bunch of spells and feats as well. So anything in there that really jumped out at you? Is there anything you really like? Um, bu- 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 bum. Uh, yes, there's like the Phantom Lance. That was the topic of much discussion amongst my D&D group yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically like sort of a intelligence save fireball but a single target. So okay. we were going back and forth over it. And there's a seventh level spell, which is Draconic Form. Mm. But I, I, I personally think it's like, well, it's it's very nice. It's quite cool. But at seventh level, it shouldn't be concentration. It should just give you those things for a minute. Because mm. otherwise, it's just like it feels a bit underpowered. I do quite enjoy Fizzband's, Fizzband's famous spell, Fizzband's Platinum Shield, which he cast all the time in the Dragonlance books. He just wouldn't stop casting Fizzband's Platinum Shield, would he? I mean, I, I'm, I, glad, I, I'm glad they finally give us a stance for this spell that he just... <laughs> I, I don't remember him casting this spell at all, to be honest. And there was another spell he was constantly trying to cast, and people were like, wait, what spell is he trying to cast? Is he trying to... Oh, he's actually casting Fireball. This is a problem. We are stood where he is aiming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that very distinctly. The the Platinum Shield, I'm afraid, is less familiar to me. Mm. Yeah. So what do you think of the Dragonborn variations? Uh, yeah, I think those are quite interesting. Personally, I would say that the Dragonborn Breath Weapon should be a bonus action. But I like what they've done making it has like it uses a part one of your attacks as if you take it as part of the attack action. Okay. That's quite cool. Mm. It's it's interesting. They've kind of divided them into chromatic, metallic, and gem yeah. dragons. Yes, the, yes, uh, that's right. Yeah. Is there is there much coverage of gem dragons in 5e so far yet? Uh, I, mean, it, uh, I can't hmm. recall in, in 5e, but uh, I mean uh, in comparison to, to 4, I don't even recall much in terms of the, the things that because the gem is all more psychic and the like, right? It, yeah. In, in terms of the utilizations yeah. and like weird and wooky damage right. types, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, um, uh, we maybe had, that means we had the uh, promotion. Was it last? No, I think it was the year before last, where they were like doing a special some the sort sapphire of sapphire dragon. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, like special sapphire that, yeah. dice with a card for putting a sapphire dragon into your game. Yeah. So. So I wonder if dra- gem dragons are coming back in a big way. I mean, I if I mean, you say coming back, like I noticed they were gone in the first place. So, <laughs> so the other day I yes. did a bit of homework, and uh, because I realised that Free League had made nearly eight million dollars on Kickstarter in total over <laughs> over the over all the all the campaigns they've done, I was really yeah. curious as to what some other um, some other creators and. Um, companies have done mm-hmm. so i whipped out a spreadsheet and i started to go through every single kickstarter creator that had done well that i could this, think of this isn't the worst pickup line ever <laughs> come with me i'll show you my spreadsheet how about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so um it was 
the, the, the result was really, yeah. really interesting because everyone's yeah. kind of heard of the really big million dollar single Kickstarters. You've heard of yes. Matt Colville stuff. You've yeah. heard of, um, um, John Wick's Seventh Sea. Yeah. Um, and you've heard of, obviously, Freedings, The One Ring, yeah. doing two million recently. So everyone's heard of those big ones. Yeah. But what you don't necessarily notice so much is the people that have been at it sort of slowly and steadily, just doing well. Oh. And they've made comparable amounts over oh, a few okay. years. Over. Oh. So I made a list of them. Right. So there are 19. So this is TTRPG creators only. So right, obviously right. there are people who have made coffee pots and bicycles and, yeah, and computer you know, things like that. That, that generally gets a lot of money. Millions yeah. and millions. But this yeah. is TTRPG stuff specifically. Right, right, right. There are only 19 that I could find. I may have missed Ooh. one or two, but I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. Um, creators, TTRPG creators on Kickstarter mm-hmm. that have made over a million dollars in total. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the top one is yeah. Free League there with 8 million, just under 8 million, 7.8 million. Yeah, yeah. And they've got a couple of like really big ones in there. Boosting yeah. numbers helps, yeah. So right behind them is Monty Cook Games. Is the second okay. biggest, and they're yeah. at six point six million. In fact, they were at the top. They would have been at the top until Free League had that one ring Kickstarter. Yes, yeah, okay. Then we have got Richard Thomas of Onyx Path uh, at mm-hmm. four point eight million. I won't read them yeah. all, but there's there's a whole lot of them. But guess who's in there at number nineteen? Is it you? It's me. I want the list. And 1,449. So I slipped, I slipped in that list right (laughs) at the bottom, just about. So happy about that. Oh, and all all of of that million directly into your pocket. Real easy, right? (laughs) Definitely. Uh, Yeah, well, I I spent it all on a giant chocolate T-Rex. There we go. I put it, I put it out back and then the sun came out and, uh, damn it. Oh, now I just had a chocolate swimming pool. You, you can't expect to known to believe that sort of thing. Like <laughs> having the sun come out in Britain, has it? No, no. <laughs> There's a reason That's I live right. in Las Vegas and not Britain yeah. is the <laughs> long and the short yeah. of it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, well done. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a really interesting chart. And obviously it's going to change over time. And I think because backer kit is involved a lot more these days, you're starting oh. to see a lot more of these really, really big um, Kickstarters funded by large ad spends. Yeah. But also the profit margins on those things are a lot slimmer now with those big ad, ad spends. Mm-hmm. So but it's, it's really hard to know really how well a company is doing just looking at these numbers. It's almost mm-hmm. almost meaningless. It's just, you know, yeah. conversationally interesting. But the market has changed quite a lot. Like, I mean, back when you were doing what's old is new, um, old and new, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd have even thought about doing VTT support, would you? Um Whereas uh, it's like I, I, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have thought to look for it, and nowadays I'm like, oh, excellent! This one, yeah, has I guess World Twenty would have been quite new at the time, and maps. I don't know what yeah. other platforms would have been. Well, it, it, when we kickstarted World Twenty, I mean, it, it was mm. it was absolutely bonkers. Like the mm. the amount of folks, it, the reason that we kickstarted it was literally a, a friend of mine who uh, was writing comics at the time, Frank Barbary, who now does mm. video game writing, uh, mm. had just kickstarted the first issue of his series that eventually got picked up by image five ghosts and he made yeah. a whopping $5,000 and we were like, Ooh, <laughs> this nice. might, this might be a thing. And we, so we, yeah. we put up roll 20 for $5,000 as well. And I think we made just under $40,000 in 18 days and went, Oh, there, there might be a thing here, but it, like, yeah. it, it, and it's funny to think of how <laughs> small that is. But at the, that time, like we were the, 
the largest Kickstarter in the history of Kansas, which is where we centered the the Kickstarter out of. Like it, mm. it, it, it's the the economy of scale of all of this is just. When was that? What year was that that you held that? Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Right. I right. said with confidence. Yeah, it has, I mean, Kickstarter must have been fairly new then as well, surely. Yeah, it, it, not oh, yeah. not entirely, but new enough that it wasn't the norm. That it, it yeah. definitely wasn't the first thing that you thought of in terms of I have an idea and mm. the way that it's going to monetize is crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's strange how that is, has, as you say, just literally become the norm now. Yeah, I mean, mm. it, 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 I'd say. It, any disagreement in the idea that it's the majority of what's happening in the industry right now? I mean, you, you looking at your list, I mean, these are how many of the major players are represented mm. um, within this. Like, it, it, this is so much of how any new material gets made yeah. uh, in the modern era. Although that said, I uh, looking at the list, like, uh, I noticed Modifius on there, and they've done something like 1.6 or something like that. And I would have thought Modifius because they are a much bigger player in the industry, would have done better. And it suddenly occurred to me that players like Modifius, with an awful lot of licensed stuff that goes to Star Trek and um, uh, Dune and all that stuff, which presumably mm. they're not able to do on Kickstarter because a lot of license ors, licensees, license ors, uh, are a bit mm. wary of um, of their licensees using Kickstarter and, and often won't let... I don't know if that's the case with Modifius, but mm. you know, in my experience, that's been... Often the case, so mm. a lot of what they're doing isn't on, isn't visible and on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't really use it as a as a gauge. I don't think mm. it's definitely though a, a portion of the catalog, right? Like there's and within that, you know, I don't know. Just looking at, at how even I guess uh, clicking through and seeing the things that they have gotten past their their licensors, there mm. being Conan, John Carter of Mars, yeah, Kung Fu Panda. Like these are not necessarily. No, it's not Trek, but they're they're still doing a portion of their business here, and it's it's just so interesting to see how normalized that is mm. now that we're we're mm. doing it all via crowdfunding. Yeah, yeah. It's why it's my main business model now. I mean, by <laughs> far, I mean by an order of magnitude, I'd say it is the place I sell most stuff, mm. and I think that's that's probably the case for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. But okay. Still. Yeah. Anyway, we've got some more news to cover. Let's quickly whip on with that, shall oh, we? Yeah. So um, we, we have news this week. Huzzah! We have more news. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what an L rigger is? No. Um, <laughs> is it like an oil rigger? <laughs> well, I didn't know either. <laughs> but it is yeah. a new D and D class oh. from Matt Colville's company, MCDM. Okay. Um, and it has just been released. You can buy mm-hmm. it now. I think yep. I think it's been around for a couple of years on Patreon in various playtest forms or something like that, but it's just literally been released to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Illwiggers kind of... It's like a, if you took a, a bard, a paladin, and a warlock, then you smushed them all together, and yet right. you're like this soldier from hell. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and you're like there ready to uh, just like cause mischief, I guess. So you've got like a forked tongue or an infernal conduit or a baleful in, uh, interdiction and hell sight and diabolic contracts and things. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, uh, the subclasses are called things like painkiller, <laughs> shadow master, architect of ruin. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be hesitant to 
play a character called like Amina Setafan or Nurofen or whatever. That would seem <laughs> kind of weird. But, all right. Very edgelord. <laughs> I'm Nurofen, the painkiller. Yeah. <laughs> Aspirin. Yeah. You're not going to be the face of your party. Really <laughs> yes. I'm Nurofen, the painkiller. Aspirin warrior of chaos. Like the profen, the painkiller. Yeah. <laughs> Aspirin, ibuprofen. It's like got a really Arabic twist. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because um, you don't get an awful lot of new classes for D anD. d It doesn't happen often. I think wizards have only done one, haven't they? Since the uh, what the artificer? Yeah, since the player's handbook. Yeah, since the PHB, and that's been quite begrudging. Was slotted into Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, and mm. then re-released in Tasha's. Yeah, because they wanted to make it more thing. But yeah, well, I think one of the reasons you don't get many third-party classes. For D and D is because you can't put those on D and D Beyond. You can put uh, some content on. Yes. You can put a feat or a spell on there, but yeah, a class, class I think is too is, is is too complex to put as a as a third party thing on D and D Beyond. So I think yeah. that's one of the reasons you don't see that many of them. Yeah, and um, subclasses there is like fairly tight um, digital restriction to prevent you from doing the same thing has already published material. Mm. Like, not for the public domain. You can do it for yourself. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That is the giant, yeah. like, compendium problem. Right? It, mm. We we joke uh, often about, like, a, a buyer ball or anything. Mm. Like, you, you just take everything, move it one over, and, you, you know, decipher the letters. And then it's like, everything is there again uh, yeah, digitally. Yeah, yeah mm. it, it, it just an odd piracy possibility. And it, I mean, it will be interesting to see how that... Yeah, evolves. I mean, I said D and D Beyond. Obviously, Roll Twenty. You've got a, you've got rules companions on there as well. Do you sort of have that issue as well? I mean, it, within that, it, that's one of the reasons that we've been really tightly held about any sort of shared compendium stuff is that we haven't figured mm. out the way that that feels elegant mm. in that mm. as a solution. That it doesn't just become a, essentially a piracy machine, right? And yeah. that's mm. it, it. It's tough because I, I mean, I, I think everybody has. Uh, I shouldn't say everybody. A great many people like to have house rules of some sort, like to have homebrew mm-hmm. creations of some sort. And so yeah. it, you know, it, the more you can make that supported, the more you can make that financially viable too. Something yeah. that, that, you know, the folks who come up with cool stuff can sell uh, is awesome. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you get into the, well, how far removed are you from what's existing and who's claiming authorship and, 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 mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's a quagmire of, well, and even, even when it, the, the other reality of this is like, even when there's not a true legal issue, mm. it can cause it, the, the meme original character do not steal exists for a reason. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also imagine it can cause confusion as well. Yeah. Um, even, even, you know, like you say, aside from legal issues and aside from just technical compatibility issues, there's just like, mm. You know, new new people coming to the platform and just right. getting confused about what they can use and what works with what and what doesn't. I mean, oh, it, yeah, it, yeah. that's a that's an issue even just in terms of uh, the the once you get it all to a point that it's a searchable database mm-hmm. anyway, it it becomes oh well they mentioned this or they had a variant of this in two different books, three different yeah. books. So which one mm-hmm. am I pulling from at this point and how well identified? Like mm-hmm. when you aren't physically holding the book in front of you. Going, wait, is this the one from the Penny Arcade version of all this? Or is this Ooh, the one? In, yeah, and then yeah. it, yeah. 
Yeah. Which yeah. sources, because not everyone cares, but for the people who do care, it is an important issue. Yeah. 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 Um, and certainly for like D&D Beyond, like the Beyond 20 extension works very nicely with your platform. And it makes it easy and accessible to use, uh, which is quite nice. So it's tricky. Well, well, and uh, accessibility, I think, is is the main reason to do any of it digitally, right? So the more of that that can evolve, and the and the easier it can get to get, you know, the user experience that you want. At the mm. end of the day, is mm. that's that's a challenge, and classes become, I don't know, it, such a major part of it because it, that's mm. that's so much of where your existence as a character comes from, right? Yeah. Is you know what what do you have access to there? Yeah, like um, the the the, the, th- the thing is, it's like. This is a great hobby, but there is a lot of paperwork involved. There is. I mean, I, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, it's like someone said that. I was like, that's true. There is a lot of paperwork involved in my favorite <laughs> game. <laughs> it, it, I'm one of those folks, it, it, as a as a big fourth edition fan, the, <laughs> the D&D Insider Builder uh, that was you know mm. built in Microsoft mm. Silverlight uh, is yes. one of those things that, that it I, I think a whole lot was right in that in terms of helping mm-hmm. fourth edition, which was a very numbers heavy system mm-hmm. function. Uh, it was, and- yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, I used mm-hmm. it. I used it a lot at the time. The, the only problem with it again was the issue of adding stuff to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that made it hard for third parties to sell stuff because they go, well, it's not mm-hmm. on, it's not on D and D inside. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I have to look at this book. What, what is this? <laughs> what is hate? I don't book? understand. Well, there's this dead tree thing to do with anything <laughs> I'm trying to do here. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's yeah. a bit of a shame, really. Because, yeah, uh, yeah I, I used the Silverlight stuff as well and remember it being yeah. a pleasant experience. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. game should have, have this. And then it was a couple of years and I found that, oh, actually, here is another way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Hey, so I'm looking at the org group stats we we, mm-hmm. we we always cover these every every quarter when you release them mm-hmm. because it's just a, it's just an interesting right. snapshot of just what's kind of going on hot off the press yesterday ah um yeah i mean the the, the top end of it always looks pretty similar dnd's always way in the lead with sort of yeah. like 50 52 percent of the mm-hmm. market and then you tend to get i've noticed that you have certainly in the last few years called of cthulhu yeah has always been in second place there yeah which is really interesting. It hasn't been mirrored in on other platforms. Only, only this only seems to be on Roll Twenty. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts I mean, why why that was. I, I think there's a there's a great deal of international play, uh, including mm. uh, yeah, Japan's big for Cthulhu. Yeah. Well, it's South Korea actually more so with uh, yeah. with Call of Cthulhu is really? is my understanding, and I, I'd have to. It, this is one of those. I'm always so scared to talk about any of these things just in terms of like if I don't have the stats right up in front of yeah. me and I'm going to misquote something. But yeah. I'm like 90% certain that, that a lot of the traffic within that is coming from Korea. And, and that's something really interesting. If you're, if for some reason you're sitting around uh, mm. in Twitter just searching Roll20 all day, you'll see it, you know, features being discussed mm. uh, and the like. And it, what was it? There was a, literally a feature the other day. There was something about uh, a way that chat archives could or couldn't be used that the Korean community, the South Korean community had a whole extended conversation on online. It was just like, right. what is this? Yeah. We got to, you know, like we, we got to figure out what their needs are here. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it, it is really interesting to see just how international mm. uh, some of the games and some of the platform is. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, it, talking, it, 
skipping ahead or talking a little bit. In terms of the pandemic, one of the reasons that we didn't just end up down down mm-hmm. in the early weeks of the pandemic when traffic was so high mm-hmm. was that we saw Italian traffic surge. Right. And, oh. and we, as we saw Italian traffic as they went into lockdown surge, yeah. and we had more people a day getting on from Italy than the rest of the world. Yeah. It was like, this thing is real. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever's going on with this virus, it's mm. not a joke. They're taking yeah. it very seriously. And then yeah. I think you saw that pattern spreading, just following in the wave of the pandemic as it oh, moved right. to different countries. Yeah. And, and so Crazy. we started to try to figure out what we needed to do from a server standpoint to get ahead of that. And, mm. and we stayed, it was a fight right at that line for a couple of weeks, but we would have yeah. been behind and mm. doomed if we hadn't seen it coming. Yeah. Um, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so well, well played. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, okay. Italy is is really the oh, yeah. answer to that story. Thanks for the warning, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. Um, so going back to those stats, though. So I just wanted to quickly yeah. run through them. So we've got D and D fifth edition in first place, as usual. We've got Call of yeah. Cthulhu in second place. Yeah, We've then yeah. got two variations of Pathfinder. I always find that Pathfinder first edition's ahead of second edition, which always surprises me. Jump, jump back a bit because you, you, you skimmed over the uncategorized and that's, that's the, yeah. that's the bane of my, so, so the second largest thing <laughs> on the platform is, is uncategorized. Yeah. Is uncategorized. And, 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 and that's one of those, you know, like folks will get in a game and they don't necessarily, they're not using a character sheet or, yeah. or they're not, you know, and, and so it, it's, it's such an interesting thing to think that that much of the hobby that, you know, 14% of campaigns on roll 20 mm. are playing question mark uh yeah. <laughs> like from from a they're, from a digital analysis something. standpoint can't you just ask them as they start up the game i mean hi we, what, we, what game is it you're playing we do mm. some asking in a few places but i mean that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fill it out sure. that doesn't mean that yeah. it so it, it i think that there's a there's a nut to crack there mm. uh, at some point but I, yeah. I, I might be remembering it wrongly but i think at one point the default setting was it was fifth edition dungeons and dragons I, I, I could I could be completely wrong on that. I don't think that we've ever put anything as a as a okay. default. I mean, there's definitely no, the, yeah. the support for fifth edition is hmm. is heavy in terms of what we have. Yeah. But I mean, you, Russ, you you said at the start of this that you know it would always D and D five e. We predate D and D five e. Pathfinder at one point was by far the most played game on mm-hmm. the system. If you go back to the to the early days um, yeah. of Roll Twenty and the Org Group Industry Report. But yeah, Pathfinder first edition continues to to hang in there. I I think it's going to be interesting to see what Paizo's approach is over the next few years in, in terms of you know they they went from essentially supporting one game to supporting three mm. with Starfinder coming out right and and how all of that plays into and of course also they're licensing out their properties to uh, Pinnacle for Savage Worlds versions as well. Yeah, so. well, and mm. and you know it changes in in leadership and the like it, i just think that there's a there's a lot that's interesting in seeing you know what the next generation of of paizo looks like and, mm. and mm. yeah definitely very interesting when, um, when, you, when you look at i mean you said a minute ago that pathfinder originally was higher than D on this yeah. list and now yeah. obviously D is at 52 percent. pathfinder first edition is at 3.5 and second edition at 1.5 percent but that's percentages in absolute numbers. I, has Pathfinder sort of dropped a lot, or is that, you know, is that just a kind of a mirage just caused by the, the growth of the Yeah, they, they, that's a population uh, mirage is is really the... I mean, it, I, I think there were so many factors. It, 
growth is so much of what has happened here. Mm-hmm. And and if you think about it in terms of growth, I mean, it, the the thing I like to remind folks about, at one point, critical role was actually playing Pathfinder, right? You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. And and mm-hmm. and so there's there's this this expansion space that Fifth Edition has become in terms of the the introductory mm-hmm. property that yeah, um, yeah it's the gateway game, yeah, right. And so it did, no, there's really not a whole lot of shrinkage for for many of these games. Many of these games, in terms of just flat population, mm. are still hanging out at, at a pretty good clip. Yeah, so um, it's almost like the pie slices are staying the same size. It's just the pie has got much bigger, is what we're driving right. at. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that that's not. I guess that's not really news to anyone. Like the hobby has been. I mean, yeah, like, it, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> no, I mean it. It's it's uh, yeah. <laughs> the the arc of these past nine years, from my point of view, is is so bizarre in terms of you know it. At one point, it was you know, oh wow, a thousand people are online, and now it's it's more, it's more than a Gen Con at all times of the day, mm. right? You know, and <laughs> wow. right, and, and just thinking about that in terms of, and that's just the way the internet works, you know, that's yeah. not super special, but it, yeah, yeah. it is, it is just kind of mind blowing to to mm. look at it as wow, there's a lot of people engaged with this hobby. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any? You, you might not, you might not know, but do you have any kind of? stats or, or even just guesses at what percentage of people tend to play online as opposed to face-to-face at home? Uh, I know I don't have anything in front of me. I, we did some some user surveying last summer in this realm asking. It's, and I, th- I think one of the things too is like the numbers with say ICVT, uh, ICV2 yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. stuff are all kind of fluffy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. You know, they, there was... There was a point where last year they were talking about what they thought the entire industry was in millions of dollars. And, mm. and I, I had a conversation with a couple of people on the digital side of the industry. And we we're all like, <laughs> like, this cannot be the case because if we add you, you and you together, we're more than what that number is. And they're talking <laughs> yeah. about hobby stores, right? Like, no. Yeah, I, think, I think I worked out at one thing. point that Matt Colville was like 20% of the industry. If that, if that right. number was <laughs> And, and, and so there, there definitely is a, a lack of consistent industry data in that realm. Mm. There's, there's, there's a question that like, how do you get, um, all of these unusual wild west? And and, and, I mean, that's one of the Mm. things about this. If you look at this list, how many publicly traded companies are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and so it, it puts it into a place, you know, and as a, as a private business owner, you don't need to know. Uh, if, as long as I'm, as long as I'm delivering to the customers, that's the, that's the real question at the end of the day. I, yeah, it, it's a really odd space to try to figure out mm. what is the overall population? What, is, I mean, I want to say Dungeons and Dragons announced this past year that they thought that their usership was 40 million folks. Is it, am I, no. am I quoting that accurately? I seem to remember <sighs> 50. 15 million North America a couple of years ago. I, I thought that they, they, they put out a, a wider, it, they did some sort of, um, a, somewhere around their public, uh, stock conversations. Yeah. Uh, their yeah. quarterly reporting said something in terms of what the, they, they viewed the, 
the total D and D players. I think in the world, they distinguish. Like, they say D and D fans as opposed to players, though. So that and does, it, that that does include it. people that play the video games and or read the books. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, or watch watch streams because it, that's what they prefer doing. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is all legit. It just oh yeah, yeah there's a lot yeah, going on. Yeah. But, yeah. but they also said that uh, I think it was about fifty. This is about four years ago. They said it, about fifty percent of new player acquisition for D and D was coming via watching online streaming, and presumably mainly Critical yeah. Role, I guess, but I mean, other, other things as well. Yeah. No, I did, that that component of it is huge. I mean, I, I can't overstate how much the Let's Play movement, I, I, I specifically point to in our early days, uh, J.P. Mm. McDaniel's role play mm. streams, R-O-L-L play. Uh, and he was a mm. you know essentially a StarCraft... Uh, he he got together a whole bunch of StarCraft and CS:GO players, all these all these oh, folks yeah. from the esports industry, mm. yeah. uh, and they were playing games. And it was they would play. They were playing up against at that point like Game of Thrones on Sunday night, and they'd have you know five thousand some viewers. And mm. then we'd see the new account mm. sign up come out of that, and it mm. was it was a whoa streaming yeah. is big. Twitch mm. is real. Yeah. We need to pay attention to this. This is mm. yeah. Yeah. I just, the only other thing I wanted to comment on those stats was Star mm-hmm. Wars. Yeah. I always yeah. feel that I don't, they, that always seems to be lower than I would expect it to be in terms of brands. It's like Star Wars is such a big thing. Yeah. But, but it's only in like half a percent or three quarters of a percent now. How, but uh, I mean, how many folks are actively at this point playing uh, in, in terms of what the overall fandom is mm. are, are actively playing Edge of the Empire or, or the like, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and yeah. that's the, and I mean, I mean it's still obviously it, it's, that's ranking what a, as a, yeah. in the top 10, just outside the top 10 yeah, yeah. of games yeah, played, do, you know, that. Do, do you have support for the Genesis system, like specifically? I don't recall. Is there a character? I'm, I'm sure there must be a character sheet. I'm not. I'm not trying to relate. There's a character sheet, and I know. I know that there's there's APIs for it. Mm. Um, the, the folks have done uh, their own programming to, to put pieces together. We don't have a license to to sell any of the content, oh, unfortunately. Okay. And that's yeah. one of those. That might, that might it, be something to do with it then. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's something that would be fabulous, but Disney's an interesting beast, and that's all. <laughs> yeah, well, um, trail fa- off. Well, fantasy like games yeah. couldn't even sell PDFs, could they? If I recall correctly. Oh, really? No, oh, no yeah. comment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, and because that counted as electronic media or something. Oh, I don't right. know. Yeah. Like, oh, Disney yeah, yeah. thought that was the same as a video game or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> and and so that that makes things you know very tough to get the online support that 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 mm. game deserves. Mm. And, and I, I I bring up that game as the best licensed outside uh, product mm. that there is. In other words, the the, the best mm. IP utilizing product. Yeah, I, I think the magic of a, a success with a threat. You save the princess, but you fell in a trash compactor. Is as <laughs> elegant. A piece of gameplay mechanics to source material Mm. as we've got. Yeah. Yeah. They can Uh, capture the flavor, provided, of course, for us, you can read the dice. Yeah. Well, there is that. (laughs) (laughs) Genesis dice. Yeah. Casual dice. That's that's what other players are for. They can tell me what the (laughs) dice say. You just roll them like other people oh, interpret them. Like, uh, well, yeah, I, if I, yeah, you could, I could literally, I could roll the dice. You could tell me anything, and I believe you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to add these up. 
yeah. Oh, here we go. Uh, Paranoia. Mongoose Publishing <sighs> has released something called Project Infinite Hole. <laughs> this <Okay>. is um, expanded <laughs> rules for the R&D department of Alpha Complex. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got 40 new experimental equipment ranging from fluffy safety armour to the jaws of death. <sighs> and that is out now. $29.99 by PDF or a boxed set for $59.99. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, Project Infinite Hall. <laughs> it's it's a thing, yeah. I've only um, played Paranoia once and I was probably like 15, 16 or something when I did a long time ago. Yeah, I, I played it a couple of times. It's it's quite fun. I think you have to either lean really heavily into the Kafkaesque humour of like you're just you're just doing what you're told by a unknowable, obscure, glados like mm. authoritarian, murderous um computer, or you try and play it straight, which I can see being an absolute ton of fun. Mm. Like trying to play Paranoia straight. Uh, like, you know, that would really bring up, like, a massive political intrigue. It's got, like, real Cold War themes going on. Like, you know, you, you are basically doing your best to be in a trust-no-one situation. But I've never seen anyone even attempt to run it straight. So, mm. no. But normally it's just been, you have seven clones, report for duty straight away. Oh, by <laughs> the way, you have red clearance. The floor is green. No touchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, all I seem to remember yeah. is I just died every five minutes, which is, you know... Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's, that, that's <laughs> yeah, paranoia yeah, working fine. as intended. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you have six clones, right? Is the... Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Get the Kickstarter from just the name. Right, right. Shall we play our favourite game in all the world? Oh, yes, that's... Nolan, are you familiar with the game? <laughs> I am familiar with the game. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your face is not someone who's looking forward to this. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not it, that it, bad, it, honestly. It, yeah. It's just a beautifully awkward... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the right sort of awkward. <laughs> okay. What, 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 what's in the mystery box? <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to go first? Well, I, 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 should, I, I would normally go first unless you would like to, Nolan. No, no, no! It, it, your your realm, uh, yeah. Get me, get me warmed up. I, no. it's, it's okay. Yeah. All right, Peter, are you ready? Yes. Oh hell yeah! Hit me. Okay, what is we die young? Ooh. Mm. Clearly, it is a game all about pop stars who all die before the age of twenty-seven, and you are playing uh, the various uh, creative types, and you're exploring the. Um, myths and legends that evolve before you reach your inevitable and sad demise as the game clock ticks along before you reach the age of 27 when you must expire and choose the method of your exploration. Well, that's dark. <laughs> like, have you, have I don't, you listened I don't to some of the things? I mean... The game is we die young. <laughs> when, I play a game, I wanna, when I finish playing a game, I want to go home happy, not sad. <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose... Uh, 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 I suppose part of the themes it brings out is like the nature of creativity and sort of like the image that one has of these people that has always remembers them as forever young. Hmm. So, yeah. All right. Shall I tell you what this actually is? Yeah, that'd be great. Super- no idea, <laughs> Supernatural role-playing in the 1990s. 
It's set in the Ooh. 1990s against the alternative music scene, and you play a human, a vampire, a werewolf, a mummy, or a fae. Okay. So it's kind of like, I don't know. Wolf like Darkness meets the music scene? Yeah. For the yeah. Touch, of, touch up with a touch of Buffy, maybe, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's all that is. It's, a, it's an OSR system from <laughs> Bloat Games, and you can pick up the PDF for just one dollar. Oh, quid's in. Yeah, which uh, which makes it a really, really easy sell, to be honest. And I'll probably back I, it for a dollar. <laughs> it's it's I mean, kind of hard not Peter, to. Peter was in the music realm of this, right? He was talking about that 27, you know, mythical yeah, age thing. Yeah, well, it was, that was good. <laughs> I, I suppose. <laughs> it was good. Well, thank you. No I'm vampires. But, but, I mean, you I mean, it doesn't specifically mention Kurt Cobain in the, uh, in the description. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but it does make it should Seattle 1990s um, <laughs> I guess it's kind of leading heavily towards him yeah it's right there oh, it is, it's it is right I suppose I suppose it is right there alright alright Peter I suppose I have to give you some points for that because it doesn't say it outright but it is right there it was very close he's, he's so looking really smug I'm really happy I'm really yeah. smug now. I, I, I'm appreciative of, of Nolan's recognition I, I mean, you know, again, we miss the whole supernatural vampire mutant element, but the finding the music thing. Retreats the spirit of the game yeah. rather than the actual wording. There so, you go. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you seven points out of ten for that, Peter. Well, Whoa. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, do you do legal representation as well, Nolan? Because I can't say you make one have a lot. <laughs> uh, <sighs> okay, then. So... Nolan, are you ready? Oh. <laughs> Let's hope. This yeah. one is called Devil Dice Island. Devil Dice Island. Oh, that makes me feel very uh, satanic battle royale is is what that takes me to. That that Lord of the Flies. Um, you familiar with the Japanese battle mm-hmm. royale? Oh yeah, uh, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you know. It, Moving around the island, parts of it are being cut off from you, but for mm. some reason, I don't know why Satan's involved. I think you've pretty much nailed it. So it's a micro RPG. <laughs> There's yeah. basically 12 pages of archetypes who are abandoned on the island and left to die. Okay. Mm-hmm. The island is a puzzle box, so I think there's kind of shades of lost in there as well, maybe. Oh, yeah. Sounds maybe a bit more like Hellraiser, but yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bringing back the demonic. (laughs) And it uses the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, This one, $3 for the PDF. Another really affordable Kickstarter, which is... It it doesn't come with 666 (laughs) Nike sneakers and with a drop of human blood in the airbag or anything? No? (laughs) No, we're going dark again, aren't we? This uh, is this uh, is the dark that, episode be, of the podcast. It's <laughs> very that's a, very pop culture. Uh, little little Nas X is in right now. We sell those shoes. Look, look, uh, it, I, like, I, I mean, I don't I don't know who you think you're talking to, but look at these faces. Is this okay, the face it, of people it, no, with their things on the pulse of pop culture? <laughs> so, Nolan, uh, I think I seven points. points out of ten as well. You Deal. are level yeah. pegging. It is a close race. I, I I I gotta say it's like I feel I feel nudge to get at least two extra points because that was. I mean, a lot better. I feel I feel like uh, the the creator of the Kickstarter gets the two extra points because they accurately named their product. Is the hmm. anyway? There you go. Yeah. Peter, <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. Your second yes. one. 
This one is called What a Lovely Adventure. Ooh. Uh, I gotta say, whenever someone starts saying What a Lovely, my head immediately flips round to Mad Max Fury Road, where it's like, What a day, what a lovely day. Um, where you've got like war boys hanging off the side of things which are moving far too fast. Uh, and they're not wearing proper PP, I gotta tell you that. Uh, spraying themselves with silver and um, mm. just generally doing the sort of things that I, I now wish to see in all my future Mad Max films going forward. That's just your normal Saturday night, isn't it, Peter? <laughs> well, you know, enough, enough of my time spent joyriding in Shirley and uh, a very local joke for local people at that point. Anyway, yeah, but um, yeah, so what a lovely adventure. Yeah, so um, I am looking for something which has that sort of manic energy. Hmm. But I feel post-apocalyptic is a bit done. Um, so I think this is a serial numbers filed off version of Paddington Bear. Um, and uh, we've got that same sort of maniacal energy and your racing around has Peruvian bears uh, with various powers such as like excessive frown around the uh, streets of uh, possibly London, possibly not um, in a desperate attempt to make sure that you are the ones who have the most marmalade sandwiches and uh, yeah, one off mm, probably powered by the apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I'm down. I was finding it so hard to keep a straight face there and not give anything away. <laughs> Really? So oh, I nailed it again. Well, you've just well, you've just nailed what I want my next Kickstarter to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, and I am disappointed. It is not that. Oh, but your idea is so good. I'm going to have to give you points anyway because I love that so much. Um, but what this is is something equally good. So this is eight Ooh. romantic adventures. One sh- it's a one-shot anthology for romantic yeah. uh, LGBTQ plus adventures for D and D fifth edition. Game, oh. nice. So it's not even close to what you guessed, but no, no. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I've got to concede it's probably better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by quite a way. So yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, uh, it, what it includes adventure? something called a relationship uh, manager. It says the adventure focuses mm. on relationships, but there are still exploration and combat encounters. So you feel the bones of D&D in this, uh, designed for levels one to five. Oh, right. Yeah. So that sounds like, sounds like you've got a great plan. But I need to, I need now to decide how many points to give you because you got it completely wrong, but I did like your idea. So I'll give you, I'll give you a point for, uh, for <laughs> suggesting my next Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that a profits participation point in the oh, Kickstarter? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, God, no, no. God, what happens if I get one of those one million dollar Kickstarters? I have to. Yeah, <laughs> this could be this could be amazing. I, I would tell you no, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not. This idea seems more of a whimsical thing, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. You could do one of your one pages. I could do a one pager. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, just right, there. right. Goblins and kobolds <laughs> searching for marmalade so, sandwiches. Last one. Yeah. So Peter, you're yeah, in the lead. Eight points to seven. No, then you just need to score two points Pressure. to win. I just, I just got to figure it out. Just try not to score a million points. That's my. That's literally my best advice at this point. <laughs> Deal. So, <laughs> what is points? What is the broken cask? Broken cask. Oh, there's two directions 
it's either going to be ghost stuff or it's going to be a drinking game. Uh, what what way do I want to go down? Why it's a ghost I, stuff drinking game, <laughs> right? I, I keep, elevator pitch. I, I, I'm keeping my face as <laughs> so as supernatural as drinking can. game. And uh, this is why I, we don't I, have a poker night, Russ. Yeah, yeah. Let's go supernatural drinking game. Uh, ghosts, frightening stories. I, I I have no idea. I'm I'm fascinated, Peter, by your ability to put systems underneath the hood of this. <laughs> I have no no idea on what is what is the system that I put underneath the hood of my uh my haunted drunken escapades in the broken mm. cask. I have no no clue. It, it, it feels have... like quite a storytelling game. So, a storytelling game, maybe. Yeah, so so fate is is something that we haven't seen for for some time. Um if you think it's more lends itself to like very specific classes and archetypes being a strong part than powered by the apocalypse is a very good choice. Concerned with it, like fate as a drinking game and, and as opposed to putting car- index cards in the middle, you're just putting a bottle of something in the middle and forcing people to. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so, giving so this like, drink as an app. Yeah. I, I think really that maybe it's a conversion of dread. We've got the Jenga tower <laughs> and a bottle of liquor, and you have there to take shots yes. with, every, with every pull you make. I, I gotta say that would make it a lot harder to play that game. <laughs> How how bad are we here, Russ? Well, I would, I would say don't take advice from your opponent is my first piece of <laughs> Damn. I try to get you profit participation on Russ's next game. So you, you're right, there is drinking involved, I guess. Um, so, um, so, so what this is, it's, a, it's an original system and it's a solo RPG. And you are the owner of the inn that the adventurers meet at. Oh, and so you okay. have to run the inn and hire and uh, hire and fire people. And uh, you send the heroes off on their adventures. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. I'm just calling it, it up just to look at it in a bit more detail. It's a shame. They, they missed the opportunity to call it the Broken Drum. Because mm. if it's called the Broken Drum, well, why is it called the Broken Drum? You can't beat it. The worst part about making puns on the podcast is I can never get to see the listeners' faces when they hear the puns. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I need a new podcast <laughs> co-host. I can't, I can't, I can't do <laughs> this anymore. <It's> <laughs> the dream is the dream is at an end. <laughs> so I've just called this up anyway. So. So you create your inn and innkeeper persona. You hire staff, earn gold, expand your inn, trade at the market, send heroes off on adventures, all by rolling dice against random tables to generate events, then rolling again to see how you and your staff handle those events. And you play that all by yourself in a solo RPG. Fun. So, um... But not at all what I'm describing. Not at all what you described. (laughs) I know. Um, That that, that happens a lot, though, to be fair. Yeah, I I mean, that's that's why it's our favourite game in the world. If you hadn't sort of leaned on your opponent for advice, you might... (laughs) (laughs) You might have done better. Yeah. Asking specifically what it would be so that's yeah i mean to to my credit the reason i couldn't figure out the system underneath it was it was original system that is true yeah there we go yeah Uh, and i I suppose if you can't figure it out then you should probably go for original system so i guess i could give you a point because there is drinking involved tangentially that's very generous of you which i think puts you both even 
Yeah. Both on eight points. So how are we going to resolve this terrible, terrible conundrum? This was one of those, uh, the, this is this is our across the pond differences. I wasn't certain if this was going to be a soccer <laughs> moment and we just left it at a time. <laughs> but, well, it, it, it really just depends upon how much coffee Russ had to drink that day and whether there's any exciting Kickstarters still left in. Because on days when Russ hasn't had any coffee and <laughs> there aren't any exciting Kickstarters, they tend to get left as a draw. Other times it goes into a quick fire, quick fire okay. turnover. So, and that's what we're going to do. So we're going to do the version of this <laughs> okay. game where you've got to guess what this isn't. The person who comes up I with the best yeah. answer, but most yeah. wildly inaccurate answer, will win the game <laughs> for this last one. So you both get to give an answer and uh, we'll see yeah. which answer is the best. Are we ready? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Sure. So, <laughs> Blue Planet Recontact. What is that not? Do you want to go first, Peter? Oh, go on then. Uh, Blue Planet Recontact is not a revisit of David Attenborough's um, exciting docu-series, Blue Planet, That's where exactly. it goes <laughs> to the ocean <laughs> and um, it tries to catch up with all the creatures that reappeared in the original series and sees where they are now, um, which in many cases will be well, it was eaten by a shark or a blue whale. Okay. So, so that, that's what it isn't. I'm sorry, no, have I have I said uh, your idea? <laughs> no, you, you you took a very good area. I'm going to say it's not a uh, a alien centric uh, setup where you are operating as aliens um, searching planets for life, and I, I don't even know. I got nothing. I was I was I was down that Richard Attenborough track. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was the obvious thing. So what this is it was so I'm obvious. Over a <laughs> oh, century no. ago, a wormhole was discovered connecting our solar system to a planet called Poseidon, a water world. That's convenient, isn't it? It's a water world. So, it's so called Poseidon. It's, <laughs> this is just Stargate. <laughs> this is what this is. <laughs> is it Stargate? <laughs> Stargate to one world. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a water world composed of island and limitless possibilities compared to the wasted remains of Earth. An island and limited possibilities. Yeah. Well, yeah. some of those possibilities are water. <laughs> <laughs> so what you get is a Wild West gold rush planet of humans and a single intellect native species fighting over the resources that will make humanity into something greater. So it's Avatar. Yes, it is Avatar. Okay. I think. Well, uh, yeah, they got they got a list of um, things that um, influence it. So Avatar is the yeah. first thing they say. Also, right. Blade Runner, Outland, The Expanse, Firefly, Earth Two. Earth Two. Wow, that's a that's a reference. And apparently, Outland. a reviewer gave it an elevator pitch as Space Marshal Cowboy and his cybernetic dolphin sidekick. Fight eco crimes in alien Hawaii. I mean, Which if you just so- want to say Brave Star meets Flitter, then you could just say they said that. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's what that is anyway. That is by Biohazard Games, and you can pick that up for eighteen dollars for the PDF. That sounds Ooh. fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so okay. I think I think I have to give it to Peter. Oh, yeah. much, much as I hate doing that, I think I have no, to give it to Peter. <laughs> so, <sighs> Peter. No, I, 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 no, no, I thought your, your, your guesses were absolutely wonderful. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Peter, well done. That. Congratulations. Thank you. 
Mirror, mirror on the wall, show me a view of my enemy's hall. Your divination will begin in 10 seconds. Have you been in a work-related accident recently? If so, you can claim compensation. Simply point your arcane scrying device at Cobalt and Sons Consultants at Law and speak the code, I want money. Get on with it. Your requested divination is now beginning. What? I can't quite see. Is that the enemy's castle? What's that obscuring my view? Hmm, let me try touching it. Thank you for selecting this ad. Has your beard grown too long to handle? Are your whiskers preventing you from navigating through narrow doorways? You need Grimwald's flame touch razors, guaranteed to burn the most stubborn hairs away in seconds. We take no responsibility for any buildings, fires, bathrooms, burns, or minor decapitations. Ah, nabbit. These ads are getting beyond the joke. All I want to do is use my magical mirror to scry upon my enemy. There must be some way to get rid of all these interruptions. If only I had some kind of magical divination device I could use to fight that... Wait, wait. Mirror? Yes? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me, how do I get rid of all these darn intrusive advertisements? To remove all messes from prospective vendors, you simply need to upgrade to the premium package. Do you wish to proceed? What? Premium package? What is this devilry? Do you wish to proceed? Hmm, push here, aren't we? Do you wish to proceed? Yes, yes, proceed. Get rid of these damn pop-ups. The premium package will cost ten groats per fortnight. Do you wish to proceed? Ten groats per fortnight? That's outrageous. No, I'll just have to struggle on. Mera, show me the castle again. Your requested divination will continue in 15 seconds. Do you need a bit of extra fortification when out on your adventures? An additional defence against those slings and arrows. Gobnobble's Shield Emporium contains the widest selection of interposable devices in the land. Visit Gobnobble's today. Ah, this is excruciating. Ah, there's the castle. And that must be my arch-nemesis, Sir Gerald the Voluminous, standing there on the battlement. Little does he know that his doom is upon him. Mera, zoom in on the foul miscreant. Ding! You have an incoming missive from Necromancer Weekly. Touch the red rune to unsubscribe. Red rune? What red rune? Unsubscribe! Unsubscribe! Ding! You have an incoming missive from the Valhalla Bulletin. Touch the red rune to unsubscribe. Valhalla Bulletin? I've never even been to Valhalla. Unsubscribe. Ding. You have an incoming message from Osmodius's Arcane Herb Shop. Touch the red room to unsubscribe. I only went there once when I was on holiday in the 17 duchies. I don't remember asking them to send me any missives. Ding. You have an incoming message from the Eldritch Collective. Touch the red room to unsubscribe. This is intolerable. Unsubscribe from all missives. You must touch the red rune to unsubscribe. I can't see any red runes. Just stop sending me all these messages. You must touch the red rune to unsubscribe. What red rune? Oh, you mean those tiny little things. That's smaller than a gnat's particulars. Why, they're so small, if I try to touch one of those, I'll end up touching... Ah, no, no! Ding, 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 ding. Stop them! Stop all these missives! I'll take the premium package! I'll pay you a thousand groats! Just make it stop! Subscription upgraded. Thank you for your custom. Do you wish to resume your nefarious scrying? 
Yes, yes, show me Sir Gerald. Let me look upon the face of my enemy. Finally, I shall have my revenge. Finally, I shall... You have exceeded your allotted number of free definitions for the month. Do you wish to upgrade? Ah! Hey, so Peter, I was uh, I was walking down the road the other day, and uh, I saw this bunch of really cool, good-looking people. Cool, good lucky. That could only be our patrons. Yep, man, I have never seen such a well-informed debonair bunch in all my life. Yeah, right. You know why is that? I don't know. You tell me. Well, if I was forced to speculate, I guess it's because they listen to our top-secret, super-exclusive bonus episode every week. Bonus episode? What? Yeah. Each week, our patrons get an extra half hour or even more of extra content that nobody else gets to hear. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Where can they find this? Oh, it's pretty simple. You just head over to patreon.com slash morris and pledge a monthly donation. Anything from a dollar to whatever you think we're worth. Huh, I did a, uh, a scientific calculation once just to see how much we're worth. Oh, yeah. How much? Uh, you probably don't want to know. Probably for the best. Anyway, if you, if you enjoy our podcast, please head on over to patreon.com slash morris and, you know, just pledge a little. That's patreon.com slash morris. And thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. I reckon we could. Shh. Right. Roll 20. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like suspicious. <laughs> Roll 20. So, oh my. So, should sh- sh- we go back in time a bit and t- sure. talk about when you, because you're one of the three co-founders, I believe, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you first created Roll20, obviously back then, I assume you had no idea where, where that None. was going to go. But what was, what was the sort of thoughts behind originally creating it in the first place? Yeah. You're, Wait, you're so, so, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we are all originally from Kansas and had, mm. had split, mm. um, that, that one of us had gone to DC, Washington DC, uh, area. I had come out to Las Vegas. And that was for our spouses' careers, our, our respective spouses' careers. And I was working at trying to have a career in comics. Mm. Um, I was I was police dispatching during the day, which was miserable, and at night writing comics, um, editing comics, doing some comics marketing, uh, going to comics conventions, and trying to get into that industry and figure out how it was going to work. Um, and through the course of that, I met. Dylan Todd, who'd done a bunch of logo work for me, and he he invited me to a local D&D game, and I started playing with them and recalling the fun I had had in the two years after college with Richard Zayas and Riley Dutton, my partners. Uh, and I, I was talking to Riley after the birth of his son, uh, his first son, about like, we're not really talking anymore. You know, like we, we play Halo every once in a while, but there's no conversation. Yeah. I don't know anything that's going on. This is it's just so weird. Wouldn't it be great if um, we could play Dungeons and Dragons? And and we we fiddled with several tools out there and and started and stopped a few times. And then finally, he had worked on something at work. So he was at that point working at a nonprofit. Um, Heartspring was the name of it. And they do work, uh, particularly in, um, verbal skills with autistic children and some of them being nonverbal. Mm. And so he had just worked on a program that was a, 
it was it was to help them express what they wanted for lunch, right? So it was a picture of a of a plate, and you'd move the food you wanted to eat onto the plate to right. indicate what you, were, you know, wanted to eat. And he was like, "Well, what would it be to play Dungeons and Dragons other than a map and some tokens that were moving around? I think I could whip this up in a week." Mm. And he he literally the the first version of Roll Twenty existed darn near a week afterwards, and then. You know, adding a dice roller and figuring out a couple of the things, and and then you know, I got the idea as I said earlier from Frank Barbary Comics. Hey, maybe we should put this on Kickstarter, and then, whoops! Uh, and you know, one of those, I think one of the things that's, that's very fortunate in all this is like Richard Riley and I had done several projects together. Mm-hmm. We had pitched an animated series to FX. We had fiddled with all sorts of web comics and other things that we tried to to make into some sort of model. And we knew, I don't know, kind of what it would take to break through at some point. Like once, once it became apparent that this was a thing, uh, it, that summer, the summer of 2012, was it, it, it hadn't, it, we hadn't figured out monetization past the Kickstarter. We hadn't, you know, fully engaged the population and it was like, we have to create some new features we have to figure out a different business model. We have to do all these things. And when we kind of came out of beta and moved into the actual September to January uh, of 2013, it, it all just kind of came together and it started to be a business. And then within a year after that, we'd all quit our day jobs and it was really our business. Yeah. And then about a year after that, there were employees. <laughs> and now, holy smokes, there's a bunch of employees. Yeah. So was there any... Thing else like that for D and D at the time, so I can't remember the timelines of I mean, what was happening. Be, back. I, I, I always say, and this this rings bells. I, I hate to I hate to name names, but it's like uh, one of the reasons that we created Roll Twenty is we didn't want to deal with port forwarding. Uh, and and if that rings bells in terms of programs and the things that, at that time, oh. that was a, that was a major issue. Is that there were there were the downloadable programs mm. that existed at that point. Mm. You really had to have some expertise, and 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 you know, to those of us who who maybe grew up playing uh, mm. video games that didn't have a centralized server. Oh God, yeah, mm, yeah. But but to people who aren't exposed to any of that and expect their stuff to just work and just mm. happen, to have to go and be like, hey, here's the settings you got to do after you download this thing and read a 240 page manual to learn what Dungeons and Dragons is in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> well, as soon as you a, said hard, forward, no. I don't know what you mean. So, you know, I'm right. not one of and those people. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. And, and and so th- that was honestly the whole reason that it was browser based mm. was, was mm. we wanted this to be easy to use. We wanted it to be yes. as fast. You, know, you send a link, your friend's in it, you're already playing. I, I used to joke the uh, MC Chris talking about uh, the game Resident Evil 4. Mm. You don't have to load that shotgun. We already did that for you. Right. Uh, was the <laughs> was the joke in terms yeah. of how fast we wanted you to be into games. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that low friction um, is really what helped uh, mm. Us, mm. us get started and get moving. And then as we were talking earlier, uh, the let's play movement that came up alongside yeah. all of that. Um, yeah, I would also say one of the things that's incredibly lucky in terms of when we made our attempt and what, uh, what the environment was at that time was that voice and video over internet was just coming into its own mm. at that point. Like it, mm. in 2012, you're still using a Google Hangout and refreshing after 30 minutes because the audio and visual has unsynced. Right, right. Like mm. that was that was about the time frame. WebRTC mm. tools were really just 
starting to be a technology that was emerging. Uh, mm. And so, yeah, we, we got really lucky in terms of the moment that we decided to do this was the moment that you could sit and have a, a real conversation with somebody mm. uh, video conferencing it, um, easily. Mm. So Yeah, but this is long pre-Zoom, I assume. I don't yeah. know how new Zoom is, oh, actually. Yeah. I've only started using it in the last year. But, yeah, uh, I mean, the, yeah. there was – at that point, your options were, were basically Skype and yeah. – um, and Google Hangouts, and then yeah. I mean, no, no Discord, no, so many of the things that we we take for granted in that space now. Yeah. So I think from like a, yeah. a technical point of view, would it be fair to say that one of the breakthrough ideas then was when you realized sticking it in a browser was the way to the way to do it? Yeah, I mean, hmm. that was that was a, a very fortunate call, and, and that's all uh, the the conversation was all of us in terms of easy use, but but that's Riley's genius there uh, mm-hmm. coming through in, in terms of of going. We could do all. I mean, put put another way, you look at the amount of things that we're doing in a browser, and the majority of other pr- programs that do the amount of graphics work that we do in a browser mm-hmm. are like those online Photoshopy type things, or online. I would even call them like art experiments, where you're you know throwing something 3D around and it's bouncing in the browser. Like mm-hmm. the amount of graphic rendering and multiplayer elements of this are really different in comparison to a lot of the browser-based elements that have that have existed out there and that's you know riley did a really fantastic job in terms of getting a tech stack that could handle that uh and and build off of um within browsers he was really on the cutting edge in a bunch of areas in terms of the selections Mm -hmm. he made Mm -hmm. and then it was it was my job to go sell it my job to go and and have the conversations in terms of well how are we interfacing with these communities and at that point Richard Riley and I's exposure was literally just Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Over the course of the Kickstarter, mm. our, one of our higher level backers, because we'd said we'd, we'd put in a feature um, mm. for a few of the high level backers, and they wanted the initiative card deck for Savage Worlds. Right, right, yeah. And mm-hmm. it was like, what's Savage Worlds? <laughs> 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 we, we were such outsiders and, and yeah. novices in, mm. in all of this. And so. Yeah. You know, it, uh, the, that first year was role playing game boot camp. Yeah. In so many ways, it was, it was literally like we've got to we got to go play things. We got to go learn about this. We've got to uh, expose ourselves to more and more so we can support more. And and that's that's another place where you know it two forks diverged in a road, and and we're very fortunate which one we picked. We decided to not be a Dungeons and Dragons simulator. Mm-hmm. We decided to instead be a virtual tabletop yeah. that would try to, you know, how are we going to pass cards back and forth between mm-hmm. each other? How mm-hmm. are we going to, you know, allow easy drawing features and all these things that weren't mm-hmm. just, how do we, you know, play D&D? Yeah. yeah. So what point in the process is the idea of sort of syncing that up with like a, a third party marketplace? Um, because that really strengthens the entire thing and that you can go on there and you can probably find the game that you want to play and someone out there's already made it for you. It's very funny, but it, I, uh, 2012 Nolan agreed with you and he was very wrong and we can't, and then was right years <laughs> later. Uh, the, it, when we first launched coming at it, coming into that summer where we were in beta of 2012, uh, the marketplace was how we thought we'd do all monetization. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that one, all of this digital artwork that exists right now for virtual tabletops is, is new. Like mm. it, 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 people, folks forget, you know, like the Devin Knights of the world who, who really kind of pioneered Greg Taylor, 
and and some of those other folks who who started doing artwork towards playing role playing games online, mm-hmm. and none of that existed, um, or so little of that existed at that time, and really we had to foster a community and get it to grow. But then past that, all of the companies had been burned by attempting early with some of the earlier attempts out there. And it, it was very much a, well, are you piracy and you're going to hurt us? Or is this going to take time? Because mm-hmm. we put some time into one of those other guys and we just don't know what any of this is. And we don't think that there's a, it. and then it even past that, just from a good business standpoint, one of the first licensing deals we had put in front of us, it, it literally had instructions on what to do with the printing plates. Once we were done making the materials right like like that was the state of what the the intellectual property uh conversation was in the industry and and i should say as uh, recently as 2012 right yeah. right mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it, and so it, it just shows you there's there's a completely different the entire infrastructure of the role-playing game industry was geared towards hobby store mm. yes. and and everything else was extra no time for it uh, and, and so there was so much that we had to do in terms of, and, and that's really where us trying to figure out, you know, our, ourselves as a subscription service that would make some of the things easier and make some of the things more powerful came in and trying to make that a part of the model to give us the ability to then go out and come back into market, uh, and work within a licensed realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it really, I, we made so little. In those first couple of years, mm. in terms of of content, it just did not the the economics of it did not work. But the economics on subscription features, on on organizational features within that, um, those were the things that took off and made some sense and got it to a point where a digital market where where we had the money and yeah. we had the time to go do some of those adaptations and to help bring them together. But yeah, it, it's wild to think of how utterly different that time was. I, I have noticed, like, I mean, because you give away, like, a lot of things for free. Yeah. So, I guess I guess one of the questions that springs to mind is, like, how do you keep it going as a business? There is enough um, folks who are buying items, who are subscribing for things. But, yeah, it, we it was very important to us that there was a robust free element of that because it, we, mm-hmm. we, we, from a philosophical strategy standpoint, we, we often talk about things like that as mimicking the real world. Mm-hmm. And in the real okay. world, how many people do you know that play role-playing stuff that aren't the folks with the books? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that aren't the folks who bring over the the board or the, the figures or any of that. And so it – the conversations regularly at the at the early start was there was no way we could ever give up the freemium uh, element of it. We needed that to exist, uh, and and also too, I think that there's a there's an extent to which there's always going to be you know, folks who are just unwilling or, or overall price sensitive, and we we didn't want that to be a barrier to them interfacing with the folks. It, it, a thing in terms of the many virtual tabletops that have come out. Uh, that came out around and since us that that mm. weren't as successful. It, a thing that in internal conversation with us, it, if we saw a Kickstarter that was launching, that it was like you know every every participant needs to buy a thirty dollar license to start. It was mm. like okay, we're good. We don't have to worry yeah. about them as a competitor because we our business model has stood up against that, and mm-hmm. we felt real confidence in that. Yeah, yeah. So in, in terms of licenses and stuff, what was your was D and D your first license, or was there? Or did no, you have something there, earlier? 
it, uh, you know, recalling off the list of Kickstarters that, that you were putting up there, actually early on, Monty Cook Games had done a Numenera was oh, well, early yeah, on yeah, with yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else was early on. I mean, e- even within that, there were, there were other folks who were doing open gaming license stuff mm-hmm. like, uh, Adventure a Week. And some some other people that we were doing work with, Cobalt Press, yeah. is somebody who who became very frequent over the years with us. But D and D was definitely a, a a seismic moment in terms of of what it meant licensing because so many. I mean, we'd worked with Pelgrane Press prior. We'd worked with who else? We'd worked with uh, Pinnacle uh, oh, on, yeah. on trying to get some Savage World stuff yeah. Uh, yeah. prior. But the the breakthrough point, the thing that 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 really became seismic was. I said finally uh, getting and and that was 2016 mm-hmm. that the Wizards of the Coast licensed with us and it was a lot of meetings and a lot of emails and a lot of work yeah. Uh, yeah, to yeah, get yeah. that to get that to be a thing and, and part of it was that we weren't doing it in precisely the same ways as other people we had some some things that we were very particular about how we wanted to be able to represent and how we wanted it to function and it took a little bit of time to get all that sorted but it it definitely changed everything. If I could go back, it, the biggest thing coming out of that moment is, is I wish that we had hired up faster mm. because there was a lag time um, mm. after that where we were so focused on because there were so many D&D 5th edition product. Like we had done, we had facilitated for the next beta, right? Because at that point it was D&D next uh, mm-hmm. and we'd done facilitation with the beta and, and all those pieces. But now that we had official, now that there were multiple books, now that we were tra- trying to figure out how we were going to go from an InDesign file to a module, mm-hmm. we put so much effort into that. And I it, and it, I think that there was a point, in, an inflection point there where I now know to hire faster earlier mm-hmm. when that sort of business comes in and, and pieces. I mean, it, to that end, coming you know, it, as soon as it became apparent in the pandemic that there were going to be continued people playing online and and as soon as you know, it, we're now one year out and we had already seen a lot in terms of calculations for how many of those people were going to stay mm. what our churn was or wasn't going to be we have hired like we've we've doubled the size of staff yeah over the yeah. last year so, so how many people did you got now what's the size you know i I don't know that this is said publicly anywhere, but we're at, we're at about sixty people. Wow, on oh, staff. Yeah. Uh, that, that's full time uh, employees. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's not the. And so past that, there's contractors. Past yeah. that, there's. I'm always astonished by the overall footprint because once you get into individual marketplace creators who are making a living wage off of us, mm-hmm. and you get into paid GMing, and you get like we mm-hmm. we did a. a like an internal economic impact look at one point. And it's a couple hundred people that are actually kind of employed by the ecosystem. Right, yeah. And yeah. that's so cool to realize, like, you know, there's there's 60 paychecks we're directly responsible for in these ways. But yeah. in terms of, you know, the, 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 the royalties. The thing created right. is the marketplace that lets other people exist right. and earn a yeah. wage. Uh, it's like it doesn't it doesn't get any extra work for you, but it's like it's sort of like you're right. helping these no, people out. That's pretty cool, yeah. right? It, it, it's gobsmacking, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so cool to see uh, a an industry raise up around in those sorts of ways mm-hmm. and and an ecosystem form. But yeah, we've we've got about uh, sixty full time staff members now, and mm-hmm. and so that's a it's really well, that's significantly bigger than pretty much every tabletop RPG company in the world. Yep. 
And, and so it, it, it makes the responsibilities in all of that really high. And, and, and uh, honestly, that, that's a lot of what, you know, prior to pandemic, and this is just fortunate in timing. Um, it, we had really gone in a direction after Riley stepped out of the, so both Riley and Richard had stepped out of the day to day in early 2017 mm. and in kind of some burnout in kind of, and still owners. Um, we still were having quarterly ownership meetings and, and they were still part of like broad strategy, but we'd agreed upon that, you know, we needed to figure out ourselves as a, as a software, as a service, entertainment business, you know, all those mm. things. Some of, some of which you look at and you go, ugh. Mm. but it was like, how, how do we combine the things that we feel about what we've done right yeah. with something that would, could be a larger corporate, um, structure and, and I, th- the work that we had done prior to the pandemic, I think, really served us well in where hiring is now, where mm-hmm. you know, people people come into our ecosystem and they understand what it is we're doing mm-hmm. and the onboarding process is you know clear enough. Uh, I don't know if those things are ever perfect, but yeah. it, it, I, I, we've got a, a clear company culture, a clear set of work rituals and all those things function in a way that there's enough organizational health and people understanding why they're here and what they're doing, mm. which is something you take for granted in a startup because you you're manually in touch with everybody, right? There's, mm. there's a period of time where it's like a garage band and yeah. everybody knows because we're all looking and making eye contact with each other when you're supposed to kick in and, and what you're doing. Yeah. Once you're doing orchestra, completely different ballgame. Totally different in terms of, of where the responsibilities are, what needs to happen. And, and like literally just knowing as each employee comes in, what are you expected to teach us versus what are you expected to learn from us? Mm. And saying that in advance and out loud is is a practice that takes a second to get into. Yeah. But yeah. no, it, it, it it's it's really, I don't know, eye-opening and interesting to be at a point where you know, we, we've hired and I feel like we're we're – better equipped and ramping up more and more mm. in a bunch of ways that that are really really exciting yeah it's a really exciting time to be in this industry uh and uh, and I, I view our responsibility towards what it looks like going forward very seriously yeah yeah in terms of sort of virtual tabletop gaming in general over yeah. the last decade i mean have you mm-hmm. you've You've presumably seen that change, just the, just the very nature of that experience change over yeah. the last decade. Is, it, I mean, is, A, is that, is that the case? Have you seen that change over the last decade? And B, can you see that changing further or evolving into something else over the next yeah. decade? Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's been all sorts of changes. I, I think that the, the, so much of, of what it, it is about is just organizing for people and making things easier and more accessible. Yeah. I mean, it, I'll say within that one of the early surprises in the first 18 months of roll 20 was once we started to get past people who already had a group mm-hmm. and there was an expectation of you're going to help us find a group, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what are you talking about? Do you have friends already? That, <laughs> that's a thing. Uh, and, and, and yeah. so now being, you know, on the complete other side of that, where mm. there's so much of the ecosystem that is looking for group that is yeah. instructive in those ways, yeah. that is, that is, um, helping in those, those realms. And, and absolutely, there's, there's a load of things. I, I think other, I, I, I talk rather frankly, I think that the existential 
question becomes once augmented reality gets to a point that the hardware is good enough mm. if we're not the software by which you're you're playing role-playing games on then then we would cease to exist right like and and to that you know if if you and i are both looking at tables in front of us or the the three of us are looking at respective tables in front of us and we see the same board via glasses mm-hmm. wow I don't think virtual reality is the same sort of threat. I, I think that's a different gaming space, but I do think yeah. augmented reality becomes mm. something where, you know, as a, as a virtual tabletop, we've got a, a pretty big responsibility mm. to, to be ready when that moment comes. But is that yeah. something you've been looking into yet? Or? Tricky. Yeah. I mean, we, we've looked into, so, so to that end, and this is something, uh, he didn't make a big deal about it. I'm, I'm going to talk about Riley. Uh, so one of the Riley, Riley went and uh, essentially made a, a, a very successful virtual reality MMO. Yeah. Um, Ooh. called Orbis VR. And, and so within that, He's learned a lot about the space and the hardware, both, you know, so virtual reality being what, what that MMO is made in, but, you know, it, he's, 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 he's an early adopter. Uh, mm-hmm. he's played with the pieces and, and has familiarity there. And, and we're all in the same, uh, mindset in terms of that it is not yet time to invest heavily in that. But, mm. That doesn't mean that you don't start investing as a technology stack in the things that are going to make it easier to pivot there. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a lot of, of what we're working on right now is, you know, microservicing, making it so that the, the various pieces of our infrastructure can more easily be subbed in and subbed out as changes have to happen, more easily be connected mm-hmm. to, to APIs so they can talk to each other. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces in the background there to try to make it more stable, more robust, faster, more intelligent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a thousand, you know, it, nine years into a software, there's so many things that can creak mm-hmm. uh, and and not do what you want in it that getting to a point where it's easier to identify those creaks, it's easier to prioritize those creaks, and then it's not spaghetti code wound together in a way that it's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, how would we even touch that yeah, without yeah. breaking 10 other yeah. things? Is a is an ongoing decoupling pro- process that mm-hmm. I, I feel really fortunate that we didn't fall into the mistake of of making a 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a a full 2.0 is such a and and I say this you know observing not only in role playing but just in, in video games in general how difficult that process can be how in yeah. software how how mm-hmm. painful that process can be. And you know we got the right technology folks involved with us at the right time in a in a Riley no longer in the day to day space that helped us identify and move that forward. And and again, you know, I was talking earlier about the pandemic. If we hadn't identified and had some of those folks on staff from an infrastructure standpoint, mm-hmm. I'm not kidding when I say we would have just been down because right, right. our, our databases couldn't have handled it. Our our overall scale up scale or or on the other hand, if we didn't have you know properly scaling servers we would have been paying for well we have to have everything ready for prime time saturday night mm. on tuesday morning right yeah and that's not a that's yeah. not a scalable infrastructure right. either you've right. got to figure out all those pieces and, and and it's a lot it's juggling and learning to juggle and then learning to add more balls as you are juggling mm. yeah and we're getting better at it uh which is mm-hmm. exciting yeah so moving over to sort of like the licensing side and things like D yeah. obviously being the biggest and most notable one. How long does it take you guys? Say, I don't know, um, Wizard of the Coast have made Curse of Strahd. 
mm-hmm. that, that, that adventure exists and they hand it over to you in some form or other. And you've got to take yeah. all that and you've got to turn that into a roll 20 module. How, how mm-hmm. big a task is that? We, I forget where the precise number is, but I mean, I, I want to say it's somewhere like an hour and a half a page. Right. Is, mm. is kind of what you're estimating in terms of person hours okay. to, to make certain that you've got, um, the piece. But even past that, like there's, there's, there's so many things that because it's digital, like when a new erotic comes out, mm-hmm. how are you going to place that into things? Or oh, when yeah. we make a change. So like right mm-hmm. now, there's things that we're doing in terms of changing our dynamic lighting system and making certain that all the expectations and like there's improvements in terms of what we've done with the vision and piece Mm. of that but there's also workarounds people had done previously in the systems to make it play Mm. out some of those things and those workarounds are no longer as efficient as well now it just does it Mm. and Mm -hmm. so making all the choices in that and trying to figure out how you're going to apply that to now a full library of products and going back into that is, is where it becomes a We've we've talked around anime uh, in, in getting ready for this today. It reminds me of of Evangelion, and then they go in and they they look at the brains of their supercomputer and its post-it notes mm. everywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a, where and, and and I feel that way often with uh, talking to our production team is like they've got you know it, okay every time this sort of thing exists in the environment is listed here mm. so that we can right. go back and and try to to be efficient in how mm. we're. Um, fixing and and updating those things whether it's wizards making the update or us making the update to what the materials are Uh, and it's kind of an ongoing woof yeah to keep up with that Mm. a lot of data management yeah right well a lot and it will and 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 also then a lot of you know and this is the same as the book itself you know Mm. inevitably the book comes out and somebody goes well on this page you missed this thing or and the the same thing happens digitally in all sorts of ways or or I think one of the things that becomes interesting is like, you know, it, do you agree with the decisions for an adaptation period? Mm. You know, same mm. as any as anything, right? Like we're we're a different medium, mm. and so do you? Is how we skin the cat in in terms of putting this together and presenting it to you and trying to make it a time saver? How yeah. you would have done it, and how do we synthesize your feedback as community right. to get mm. closer to to what it you know? It, well, and also, can we offer? There are, there are times where we're lucky enough that we can kind of have our cake and eat it too with some mm-hmm. of these options where it's like, well, we can both hyperlink it and put it in order and put images mm-hmm. and, you know, it give you all those pieces mm-hmm. as best we can to make it whatever version of this you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was a game designer from itch.io or whatever, yeah. and my game has just started taking off because it's, it's just got that magic something. And it's just blown up, and people buy it. I'm like, Nolan, help me out here. Yeah, can I mean, you support I, me? What would you like me to do before I come to you? I mean, I, I think uh, one uh, James Intercaso, uh, who we were talking about earlier, had, did yeah. such a great job with the 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 Burn Bright team. Burn Bright, yeah. Mm-hmm. Darcy Ross, Cat Cool, and Jim McClure uh, mm-hmm. coming together and and figuring out. Helping, like, uh, really, one of the goals that we had in doing that was helping <laughs> answer exactly that question yeah. from an internal mm-hmm. standpoint, right? Like, mm-hmm. helping teach us any of the pain that existed in that realm as intimately as possible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think the main, like, 
character sheets end up being what so much of it is about. Yes. And so yeah. one of the things that we've really tried to do is, is have more things that could be graphical user interface towards working on character sheets mm. as opposed to you have to know JavaScript. Uh, more things mm. that are that help make that simpler, help understand how it's going to interact with the rest of the tabletop. But it, I'd, I'd say that's step number one is mm-hmm. is trying to figure out what is this going to be from a character sheet standpoint mm-hmm. and and how are you going to play it out from there? And then secondly, what is the artwork that you have available? How are you going to roll that out? And, mm-hmm. and you know, what are the pieces within that? And then start having conversations about, is there anything that Roll20 needs to do from a uh, from a support standpoint, like that was a, a we um, fiasco is an example of a game where we had actually signed, shake, shook hands. We got halfway into that game being uh, ready to go, and they came back and they were like, "Actually, we want to make certain that this part of the experience is easier." And so we we pumped the brakes and and did some work to get some of the, those things functioning under the hood better. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know that's the the collaboration of distributor and platform yeah. and the, the folks who are making things. It, it, and it's, it's fun to have. I honestly, honestly goodness. One of the reasons I'm, I'm here today. Um, we recently brought Gabe Hicks, uh, Gabe James games on Twitter, uh, onto staff. He's a game designer, uh, and voice actor and cosplayer and a bunch of other things in the space. Mm-hmm. But a, a thing that he said since coming on board and, and he's got several, games in the work that are going to be in some collaboration. I think that he's going to be doing with uh, Intercaso over the next year and a half. And one of the things that he was pushing me on is like, Nolan, I don't think people out there know how, how many, how many ways there are to interface with us now, what all the things that are going on, what we stand for. Like there's a, there's a lot that we, as we've internally focused over these past few years that I think the external conversation has, um, become so focused on just some of the direct business licensing that talking generally and saying, Hey, everybody, uh, character sheets are where to start. Hey, everybody. Um, mm. this is, this is where some of the infrastructure things sit, yeah. uh, is, is an art we got to get back to. Yeah. When it's something I am going to have to look into doing myself over the next year or two at the moment, what I do, I do have some, um, material on the Roll20 marketplace, but it's licensed out. So I, I'm not involved. In that process at all, literally, yeah. someone someone does it for me and pays me a royalty, and presumably pays you a royalty. So it's kind of like two steps away from the actual from, yeah. from the actual from actual from roll twenty itself. But yeah, it's something that I in the next year am definitely going to be delving into head yeah. first. And and so many of the things you were saying about Kickstarter apply. You know, it, it's it's about um, having engagement. Uh, with it, and so you've got to be regularly releasing. You've got yeah. to have that conversation happening. You've got to get uh, those people. Like to that end, playtesting on Roll Twenty is is super important to consider. To that end, as it, it, knowing how far are you are from your next release and having an idea of where that mm-hmm. goes, pricing appropriately. This is this is one of those. It, it, we we do very little free marketplace material, particularly with new systems. Uh, and they're always like, why, you know, don't we need to give it away? And, and the answer is no. When you give it away, it becomes a, the Steam library mm-hmm. where 
you know, I, there's a thousand games sitting over which here. Which you've never played, yeah. Which you've yeah. never played. Yeah. And, and by just putting $5 even as a price point on it, it, mm. it gets folks to engage with the material and actually play it. And we've got internal numbers that show this to be the case, that you are so it much more. It gives it a value, doesn't it? Right. It's a psychological yeah. effect. And, and yeah. that, that psychological effect is, is worthwhile for all of us, mm. right? You know, it, mm. on, on the one hand, it, it pays the creator. It pays us yep. as a distributor. Yep. And the end result is people actually play yep. and value the material. And seeing that number on the end of it, which is, I, I think, ostensibly the the goal that you know, while while the monetary is important for the creator to keep creating and for us to keep distributing mm-hmm. and hosting, the reason we do all this is we want people playing games. Mm-hmm. If we're just selling a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't go anywhere, and, and then there's no there's no growth effect for games yeah. after mm-hmm. that, right? You know, it, it's all one flash and pan as opposed to anything that could ever get momentum. Mm-hmm. So we've really pushed. Mm-mm, don't give away that first thing. Don't mm. don't try to go into a to right. the, to the freebie there. Even it just price it at five dollars, and you are so much more likely to see people actually take yeah, the time yeah, to play it. Yeah, no, mm. I, I agree. I mean, I um, outside of World Twenty, just in selling other stuff, I've always found that if you put something online for free, you'll get you know ten thousand downloads of it, but very little actual feedback on it. Mm-hmm. If you just put a dollar, a single dollar price on it, yeah. yep, that drops the amount of downloads by obviously a thousand times but right. the feedback goes up by 10 times so mm. yep <laughs> and and it, and i would argue you know that that feedback is more value yeah right yeah. that community yeah. that builds around it is is of higher value and and that's definitely you know it, learnings we love sharing yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of it, it, you know it, we've we've really worked to try to make one of the things that i think is, is really funny um in the overall industry is is coming into it a brand new babe, right? Like I, I had, I had experience and opinions in comics, mm. uh, and very little experience and opinions in tabletop role playing. And the amount of people who early on was like, just so you know, there's no money in this, and it's just a hobby, and there's nothing, <laughs> and, and and just being like, you know, I think we're gonna try to value our work and the work yeah. of everybody that we're distributing in this yeah. process, mm. and that was uh, a very fortunate choice to make yeah. in terms of mm. of. Um, helping the overall industry, I think. I think there's a general kind of push these days. Um, I don't know how strong it is, but I certainly see it on Twitter to actually value creators yeah. and material yeah. in a way that definitely didn't exist 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I feel very similar. Like a lot of my opinions on we don't do a whole lot that's exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't do a whole lot of, of lockdown intellectual property contracts where, you know, the, the royalty split is, is definitely geared to, Hey, creator, we want you to, to come out of this functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things were things that, that, uh, came from image comics and, and independent comics folks in terms of how I was putting together those models and thinking about it was, you know, what can I do that is the most community indie? It, like it allows you to make choices for yourself as a creator, as opposed to me mm-hmm. as the, as the publisher or distributor or whatever my role is in that, mm-hmm. um, uh, take over. And it, and I think so many of those choices have served us well yeah. in terms of, of building an overall industry, not just us, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the, and, and whatever our role has been in the past 10 years. I think so much of it comes down to like a like a like an Eastman and Laird uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles bill of rights for comic creators spirit right, right. Uh, is where a bunch of that nonsense came yeah. from. 
So what, what went into the decision? Because um, you, you started up just by facilitating other people's games. What went into the decision to create Burn Bright as a mm. internal house system of your own? What what made you decide to do I that? Mean, there a bunch of things. I mean, I, I, I think you know. On the one hand, there's there's just literally every distributor that you look at of of content, be it um, Netflix to Crunchyroll to whomever has originals, right? Yeah. And and so there, there's there's some desire to know. Well, what's that look like in, a, in an ecosystem where we have something that's made for our platform first and foremost? And that was another thing, you know, digital first. Mm. What would it be like to be a game that was, that was ground up in those places? But then it, the same as I was saying a, a moment ago, some of this was literally just learning publisher pain right. in a way that there was no getting around. Like yeah. you, you couldn't push any of it out. You, you couldn't. It, we had to suffer through it together. And and I, I think that that was helpful as a process. And, and I, I think beyond that, you know, James and Jim were the the earliest in that. I, I think it was one of those fortunate things of like being convention peers mm. at the right place, right time, and having those conversations. And and as I as I watch careers blossom uh, amongst the group who ended up working on that game, it was like we should just do something together right yeah. like we did like there's and, and you know indes I, I love so much about that when when they first came and pitched uh because we were talking about hey we'd like to maybe do a digital first game hey we'd love to to go in these realms and and they were like well what if it was the end of the universe and everything was crashing down on you and and you're just kind of punk rocking against all of it it was like you're speaking all of what my personal yeah, language yeah. is uh and what if there were no humans and so that we made everything all these different cultures and we focused it in these ways mm. and what if it was story built as opposed to box of knives you know combat heavy and and all of those elements spoke to things that we went there's not enough of this in the marketplace there's not, you know it, just the amount of conversations around like I think it's very fascinating that if we say fantasy to you, the the image that comes into most people's mind is something a, a long a Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. realm, right? Yeah. There's there's an aesthetic that you instantly yeah. get to. There's a but if you say science, yeah. right? <laughs> science fiction, mm. then it's like, are you going Alien? Are you going Star Trek? Star Wars. Are you going Star yeah. Wars? Yeah. Right. And so there's an instant, you know, it's spread to that. And so even just going into that and going. What is our mark going to be, and how would we play with and against those types? And and I I, I don't know. It was a fun exercise. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of good came from and and a, an exercise that uh, that isn't over. You know, I, I think one of the things that's been fun about it is seeing that it's it's performing, seeing that it's getting play outside of us pushing play, uh, and going okay. We can continue to uh, to experiment with this, and and not only that, but I, I do think we will end up. I don't know when the next time we will go ground up on a system, mm -hmm. but I think you'll see more and more things that are original roll twenty items in the next five years, just so because like indie adventures and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. because it, I think that there's a there's space for it, right? You know, there there are things in the marketplace that uh, I think end up underrepresented or or maybe just not give it enough prestige mm. uh, in it. And, and we've got the, the pockets to do some of that. And, and I think, you know, the audience to connect with some of that. And that's a, again, it, I take that to responsibility, yeah, yeah. right. You know, that you, that you look at that and it's like, how do you do this in a way that's going to be sustainable? That's going to, that's going to be something that um, has an opportunity to last 
for a period of time. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the show because it's been really educational. Oh, well, that has been fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. I, it, 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 thanks for thanks for helping me get back on the horse. It, it's been a second since I've regular. You know, I, I did a lot of uh, news interviews over the pandemic, mm. but I've I, I miss this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so much of what the early World 20 days for, for me from a marketing standpoint were, were going on shows and, and getting to have conversations. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I appreciate uh, you're, you're my, I've got a few lined up into the future. You're my first uh, rodeo back access. And, and it was great. Matt. Thank you a lot. I, actually, there is, there is one question that has come through from Southampton Guild of Role Players. Ooh. So if you could just answer it yeah. quickly. Uh, and the question is, are you using players to train a malevolent AI or are players being selected to form an Earth Defense Force against an impending alien invasion? And who asked that? <laughs> names, are, uh, names are being withheld for technicality. A little column A, a little column B. I, this, is, this is one of my favorite uh, anecdotes in, in terms of, of role. So early on, we were really concerned about the dice roller uh, yeah. in terms of like that, that becomes very important to, to people's experience and their trust in you and, and what is And you think about it in the real world, you, you know, this set of dice isn't working for me. Throw it away. Mm. Blow it on these to make them lucky, whatever. One, one, so, one, one, right. one, one. But I so, can't distinguish so, that from my regular dice, so it all seems legit right. to me. And, but, so it, it became really important to us to make certain that we, it, like human beings search for patterns and you're yes. more likely to ascribe patterns and, and failure to a machine than you are to something that you're manually... Oh yeah, I tell you, roll 20 hates me. It really right. hates me. <laughs> so so <laughs> you can actually look. Roll 20 quantum roll. Okay. We'll hear the... And it will put out in front of you, if you look at the quantum roll status, mm. the averages on rolls across the past hour, how many rolls are being made, all this all this data yeah, yeah. that is there in terms of, of what's going on with that. And, and within that, our quantum roller is actually the, the seed of, of uh, RNG in that is a, an entropy source. It's, it's like there's a, there's a college in the world that is following the movements of a quantum of light, which is one of the few truly random things in nature right, yeah. that you can utilize to do, to do seeding. Mm-hmm. And so we're super random. And that's, that's our biggest, like, what is the giant powered machine that's underneath all yeah. of this? Well, it's a, it's, it's a quantum of light floating around. And we're just trying to get you as players to believe that the quantum of light is random, <laughs> damn it, and stop assigning <laughs> your own personal failure. But what I'm, what I'm seeing here now then is, while it might be random and you might be getting average scores across the board on mass, why is it that my ones? <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody, everybody has exactly that. Point. Uh, once, once I figure out the way to like pull in the live stat, of just just so you know, as you did this, so and so is lucky. Not you, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just confirmation yeah, bias, yeah. isn't it? Basically, but you, you just right. remember. Right. Right. Really much, yeah. Yep. But I, I still swear I roll so many ones. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I think I think it's the red. It's the red. It yes. <laughs> Why yeah, is it everything red all the time? Yeah, it just sears into your brain every time that red one shows yeah. up. Yeah. Go, um, uh, it's really strange because as a GM, I, I seem to roll quite quite badly, which is pretty good for my players because why should be mincemeat? Right. But in our Pathfinder two game, the one specifically where Russ is complained about always bad luck. I roll really well. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm nailing some of these rolls. Like last night, we did a stealth roll. I got that 20. 
So as a fully Rusty, honest commentator. You, yeah. Do you remember it that I way? I do not. Is the, is the, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I remember this. I remember this. Because it shows you the, uh, the, the die roll, the, the attack roll, and it shows you the um, damage roll below. Yeah. And especially in Pathfinder 2, that damage oh, yeah. roll bit will have often have quite a lot of components. I mean, we're yeah. like 10th level now, and it's got like five or six different yeah. components with sneak damage and precision damage and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. When they're all red... just means you've got some minimum values come up I I, I personally enjoy that and this is what you could have won uh, (laughs) if you had hit you could have done this much damage (laughs) and on that Uh, note let's let's get out of here thank you so much you've been an absolutely wonderful guest and uh, yeah yeah. I like having you on appreciate you having me alright thank you Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. You want to have a really, like, the conversation into uh, Roll20 being named Roll20, we literally went and got the Google chat from that the other Mm. day, Uh, Riley Mm. and I were talking, and it was just like, well, do we want to be D20 this or play together that? And and it was just like, ah, who cares? (laughs) 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 Great. Forever and ever. Well, Roll20 works. Awesome.